Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John A. Torres, and welcome back to Murder on the Space Coast. Season 2 is coming in February, but we wanted to give you a little taste of what our reporting has dug up so far as we examine several cases filled with sham evidence that are eerily similar to the one we explored in Season 1. We've been able to track down and interview some great sources who had first-hand knowledge of these cases from the 1980s and whether justice was truly blind or the system rigged in the state's favor. And, mainly because I keep everything, we also have great audio like this from attorney David Menchel from 2008, the day after wrongfully convicted William Dillon was released from prison after 28 years. Menchel who was legal director of the Innocence Project of Florida at the time, spoke at a press conference during which he called on then-Florida Governor Charlie Crist to launch a full investigation into the actions of Brevard County prosecutors because Menchel, as others have claimed, said Brevard prosecutors used evidence they knew was fabricated and fed information to jailhouse informants in order to secure convictions even against innocent men. I think in a lot of wrongful conviction cases, the the you know the, the cause essentially is is a bunch of well-intentioned people who made a mistake, right? That is the typical wrong, wrongful conviction case. That's not this case. This case, you know, again, I think it's tempting to think of the, to to think about this case about the fraudulent dog handler, but but in a sense, that's not really what this case is about either. This case is about a criminal conspiracy that exists in Brevard County. Or was it, as longtime Brevard County attorney Joe Mitchell theorizes, just a matter of arrogance and pride? The problem is this. You know, once again, I'm, this is just my thought on it. We have a great system. It works the over, overwhelmingly amount of the time it works. And what happens to the system sometimes is because it does work so well, they get arrogant. And they just can never say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I might have been wrong. I could have been wrong. There's a possibility I could have been wrong. They get entangled in their own work, have to fight to justify what they did forever. They just can't ever just say, like, I just wonder, maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but on Dillon's case, I don't think that the prosecutor has ever told William Dillon they're sorry. Coming in February, Florida Today will roll out the second season of Murder on the Space Coast. In season one, we looked at the troubling case of Gary Bennett and the strong possibility that an innocent man has been in prison for the last 33 years. Catch up or re-listen to season one now. It is available in the iTunes and Google Play stores and on the Stitcher Radio or SoundCloud apps. Bennett was arrested in 1983, tried and convicted of murdering Helen Nardi, his neighbor. The only thing that linked Bennett to the scene was a partial palm print in the victim's trailer. But he told police he had been in the house. He passed a polygraph test. He passed a rape test kit. 
The pubic hairs found on Nardi's naked body were not his. So prosecutor Dean Moxley brought in dog handler John Preston, whose dogs allegedly could link the murderer to the weapon. And that's what they did in Bennett's case, with Moxley telling the jury it was the scientific equivalent of a fingerprint. But Preston was a fraud who was already under investigation. Moxley also found a couple of snitches in the county jail who would say that Gary Bennett had confessed to them in exchange for leniency. Their involvement also allowed the state to appoint a lawyer to replace Gary's public defender. That was common back then. And the replacements they used? Well, they were kind of like the tune-up fighters or sparring partners that boxing champs trained with. They were expected to put on a pretty good show, but nothing more. Gary's case would never have come to light had it not been for the eerie similarities with the other cases prosecuted here in Brevard County in the 1980s. In season two, we take a hard look at the controversial practices of the state attorney's office during that time, and we're asking whether justice mattered as they tallied one conviction after another, even against innocent men. Their methods of securing these convictions, using fraudulent dog handler John Preston, as well as jailhouse informants, were used time and again, and it seemed just about everyone knew about it. Prosecutors used these methods against William Dillon and Wilton Dedge to convict them. Both men were later exonerated and freed, Dillon after 27 years in prison and Dedge after 22. Another, Juan Ramos, won a new trial on appeal and was taken off of death row before a jury acquitted him. That same pattern sent Gerald Stano to the electric chair. And the similarities between the sham cases and the case against Gary Bennett are startling. We talked to those involved to try and figure out how something like this ever happened. How does an innocent person end up targeted by police, arrested, charged, and convicted of a murder or rape he did not commit, and then spend years, in some cases decades, in prison trying to clear his name? And how does it happen three times over the span of three years in a county our size? Could there be more? The stories and language are sometimes a bit rough and may not be suitable for younger or sensitive listeners. We spoke with people like former prosecutor Sam Bardwell, who quit the office because he didn't like what was going on, especially from fellow prosecutors who insisted on using Preston and the dog, even after it seemed clear his claims were ludicrous. Bardwell was the attorney who finally helped expose Preston as a fraud. He was also featured on an episode of 2020 when Geraldo Rivera came to Titusville to do a piece exposing Preston and his magical dog. He also testified in Arizona, where the Arizona Supreme Court overturned every case that Preston was involved in. In other words, when it comes to John Preston, there is no better source than Sam Bardwell. I started at the state attorney's office at 10 16, 78. I left there 4 30, 82. And the reason I just plain quit, I couldn't deal with it. And this was at the height of the activities that I find personally repulsive. So I knew at that particular point in time that he was a fraud, a charlatan, and a liar, and that nobody who utilized him to do lineups 
had any personal integrity or, or rudimentary knowledge of, of basically experimental design. And so I then realized that uh, there's some evil things working here. We also look at the state's continual use of jailhouse informants, like murderer and child rapist Clarence Zaki, whose false testimony sent Wilton Dedge to prison for 22 years, and who said prosecutors told him what to say in the case against Gerald Stano, a serial killer and serial confessor who Brevard prosecutors sent to the electric chair for a murder that many believe he did not commit. The prosecutors made deals with Zaki and used his testimony over and over, even though he killed the brother of a state attorney, smuggled drugs, and raped his adopted daughter for years. I remember he used to be the one that came in and woke me up every morning in his little tidy whiteies, and he'd stroke my back. I remember... And how old were you about this time? Uh, about six. And he started making me do oral sex. I don't remember a lot of details about what happened because it was an everyday thing. It was every single day he raped me for four or five years. From the time I was six till I was 11. And at 11 it finally stopped because mom shipped us off. To this day, she has a hard time comprehending why the state would deal with a child rapist who through his false testimony was able to shave more than a hundred years from his sentence. They don't care about justice, they care about themselves and how they look. They don't think about the lives they destroy when they do it. Mark Horowitz, the attorney for Wilton Dedge, couldn't help but laugh as he summed up what those days were like. It is what it is. <laughs> oh my God. Well, that, that's, those are dark days for justice when you see that kind of, that kind of conduct. Dark days for justice, indeed. Don't miss season two of Murder on the Space Coast in February of 2017. And catch up on our first season, available now, as I said earlier, on most popular podcast platforms. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers, and the editor is Mara Bellaby. Murder on the Space Coast is brought to you by Florida Today, part of the USA Today Network.